0: Welcome to the Grace Baptist Church podcast for Sunday, April 10th, 2022. Today's sermon will be Hebrews chapter 6, verses 9 to 20. If you'd like to follow along, please go to gracebaptistchurchnc.org. Click the current sermons link at the top and click today's manuscript. Welcome to Grace Baptist Church. What a day it will be when our faith, now faith is what we are united to Christ. It is God's gift, God's means, whereby now we live by faith. But one day, we will live by sight. Faith will be no more. And so, I look forward to that, and that helps us. And I'm not talking about that today so much in the sermon. We're, we're going to talk about faith, but one day, know that even what I talk about today, the faith that, that we have today, one day will be sight. One day, that will be good. If you would, turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 6. And I'm going to read verses 9 to 13. Though, we will only really look at one verse this morning. But I want to read it in context. Um, Let me read the one verse first. See Hebrews chapter 6 verse 10. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for His name in serving the saints as you still do. Now let's start over and let's read verse, verses 9 to 13. The author says, though we speak in this way, speaking back to what we talked about A couple weeks ago, a few weeks ago on on apostasy, but though I speak in this way, yet in your case, brothers and sisters, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. And then why? For God is not unjust. That's where we're going to be today. For God is not unjust as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. And I'm going to stop there, if you'll remember from last week, or two weeks ago before Garrett, his promise to save a people from before the foundations of the world. So we see that right here, and then sending his son to do that. So, verse 18, So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for today and just being good to us, allowing us to meet, physically get here. And, and to even this morning in Sunday school, what a blessing, Father, just to, for, for all of us to, to come here today and to meet as Christians. Father, we are so grateful. And now we come to this time, with this passage before us, and we pray that you would give us great grace by your Holy Spirit as you sanctify us according to your truth. May these words, the power of your word which is two-edged, is like a two-edged sword and it cuts to joints and marrow and ligaments. Father, it is powerful. I pray that you would give us grace in Christ, who is the living word. Pray that he would increase, that we would decrease. Pray that in spite of me, you would work greatly. Give us understanding today. And Father, even as we think about assurance, may this text help us today with our own assurance. That we might have full assurance, hope to the end. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this is really part two. Under the umbrella of Christian assurance. In our context, the author has just spoken of the great danger of apostasy. Then in verse 9, he says, Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things. Things that belong to salvation. We've already read that. In other words, he believes that they will continue until the end. And it's his desire that they have assurance of this. Look at verse 11. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end. And then in verses 13 to 19, which we just read, he, he grounds this assurance in the promise of God. And as we saw two weeks ago, our assurance is grounded in the promise of God in eternity. He's chosen a piece of people for Himself. And then this promise is displayed in the sending of the Son. And so today, you know you are a Christian if you are believing in Christ. If you are trusting Him today for your salvation. In this is great assurance. Look at verses 19 and 20. We'll read this probably a couple times today. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of our soul. Brothers and sisters, Christ is the anchor of our soul. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now look at verse 10 with me. Because the topic today is really assurance... And good works. And we're going to be, we're going to stay there next time in this as well, although Easter's coming up next week. So I'm going to preach on the resurrection. So we'll be off again, but we'll, the next sermon in this we'll, we'll come back to this works. There's something about our works that goes with our assurance, for sure. So look again there at verse 10. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work some translation issues here but it's good for God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the Saints as you still do so here we see the ongoing display of good works in the life of the Christian because he's saying hey I see your works as he's writing to this this group of Hebrew Christians, I see how you love one another and I see how you care for one another for sure. And we're going to be there in a couple of weeks when we look at that more closely. But for today, I want to spend the entire time dealing with this concept. Here's a question that I want to put before us. How can God be pleased with our works if we are sinners? So I have three truths that will answer that question. Here's the question again. How can God be pleased with my works, seeing that I am still a sinner? So here's the three truths. Very, very, very doctrinal today, I think, but it's, it's so important for us to get this. Number one, God will always do what is right. We'll get that from our text here. He's not unjust, but God will always do what is right. Number one. Number two, as sinners, just in and of ourselves, born of the race of Adam, by nature children of wrath, as sinners, in and of ourselves, our works are unacceptable to God. That's two. Number three, in Christ, our good works are acceptable. Those are three I think pretty simple truths. But let's so let's start. First truth. God will always do what's right. God is just. The word in our text, look there at, at verse 10, the word in the text is translated as also justice, God is just, or it's the same root word as righteous, God is righteous. In other words, God always does what is that which is right. He is always as our culture likes to throw this word around, He is always equitable. He always gives exactly what what we deserve. And again, I get this from verse 10. For God is not unjust to overlook your work. So that's what the author is talking about. Something about God looking at your works and His justice, somehow or another, goes along with how, how we can have assurance. Now, there are some who say, when they look at this, this verse, they say, there you go. This text is proof that our salvation is based upon works. In other words, God is just. He doesn't forget your works. He sees how you have served God's people. Therefore, your works contribute to your salvation. And in this way, the people who believe that believe, yes, God is just to not overlook works. And really, in principle, this is a good statement and a good argument. And I would would agree with this in principle. After all, doesn't the Bible say that a worker is worthy of his wages? Children, what if your parents said, go clean your room? If you don't, you're going to be punished. And then you don't clean your room. And then your parent comes along and says... You didn't clean your room, but it's okay. I love you, and it'll be all right. I forgive you. Don't worry about it. You might like that, of course, but you would say "Mm," to yourself, that's not really the right thing to do because I did disobey, or whatever. You see the principle. And this is exactly what the world believes about religion. They believe in works. Muslims... Jews, Hindus, Buddhists, animists, all kinds of folks that are religious all over the world believe that if your good works outweigh, if you put a scale here, your good works are over here on this scale and they outweigh the bad works, then who wins? That's, and that's still a principle of justice because if we had scales and we could weigh them, okay, then the good works outweigh the bad works, then the good works win. So in principle, this is, this is good. Has anybody ever seen the AT&T and the State Farm commercials? Just curious. Anybody ever seen those? Well, Jake at State Farm? Can't, you can go to anywhere and you see a big picture of him somewhere. What's the girl's name? Lily. Lily. You see them. Well, when you see these, this just is a picture of what our world believes about equity and justice. The point of their commercials is that what? Everybody gets the same deal, okay? Everybody gets it. In other words, they don't show favoritism. They're very equitable in their business practices. You know, the same, whether it's Jake or whether it's Lily. And you know what? We understand that. That's, this, is, this is fair. You know, this is good. We get this truth. We get this principle. I believe, though, we get this because God has written such truths on our hearts, and we have a, an understanding, it's just as human beings, what is right? And we understand when someone gets what they deserve and what they don't. Now, it gets confused for sure, but in principle, we get this. I remember even as a child, before I had become a Christian, although I, was, I had grown up say, from my parents saying, believe God, you know, believe Jesus, and all of those things. But even as a child, all the way through, even up through high school, I used to pray. Even when I was sinning greatly against God, I would pray, God, Just help me do what is right. And I would pray that with sincerity, even as a non-Christian. Because I understood there was something going on here with God's justice. That He wanted me to do what was right. For all of us, though, when we think about God's justice, we have to go back to the beginning. With Adam and Eve. God says to Adam and Eve, Obey me and you will live. In other words, Adam, do what is right, which is obedience. Do what is right. If you do this, you will live. And this is truly equity. God tells Israel over and over, Israel, obey my commandments, and then you will be blessed. We see this throughout the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 6, verse 18. You shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may go well with you. That you may go in and take possession of the good land that the Lord swore to give your fathers. 1 Kings 11, verse 38. If you will listen to all that I command you, and you walk in my ways and do what is right in my eyes by keeping my statutes and my commandments, as David my servant did, then I will be with you, and I will build you a sure house I built for David, and I will give Israel to you. This is true. for us today. This same principle is the same for us. God says, obey me. When we come to the New Testament, Jesus says, obey my commands, the commands of Christ. Now, let me ask you, what happens if you do not obey His commandments? Well, if we go back to the Old Testament, what happened to the Hebrews? In the book of Hebrews, when they were standing there at the promised land, and God says, Go into my land. Here it is. I'm going to take you there. I'm going to be with you. Go into the land. Again, I, I, what, what do you say in Sunday school class? They're, they're bread to us. You, those of you are in Jimmy's Sunday school class. Go in. There it is. Trust me. Obey me. And what happens when they did not obey? They find great punishment. And the displeasure of God. Even worse. And if you go back to Hebrews, flip it over a page chapter 3 verse 11 speaking to that generation in their disobedience as I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest so that generation spent 40 years in the desert till all of them died off except for Caleb and Joshua and then they went into the land so the point here is that God is just he will always do what is right God's scales are always right He measures with perfection. And if our works, in principle, are always, always good and right, and I'll probably have to go back and rephrase it, if they've always been right and good, for example, Adam, he would have continued, we could have said, yeah, he would have continued if he would not have disobeyed, then God will accept us. So, let me ask. What if you were to do right always? Would God accept you? I think in principle, yes, He would accept you. But this is not the case. Which brings us to truth number two. So the first truth, God always does what is right. And so how, how, can, how does this affect God understanding and accepting our works? Number two, as sinners, our works are unacceptable to God. See, that's the problem, because we haven't always done what is right. The problem is sin. It's always the problem. When we think about our example from the world, it, it is not that the world doesn't think about the bad things they do, because they do believe that they do bad things. Most folks I've spoken with know they've done bad or, or unjust things. Which of us has not told a lie in our lifetime? And you might say, well, I haven't told a lie. But I don't believe that if you say that. Or you've deceived somebody in a small way. Well, I haven't really told a lie. I've just de- Well, we know that. Which of us have not done that? Which of us has always been content with what we've got? Always. None of us. Which of us have has never stolen anything in our life. Oh, well, that's that's an interesting one, too. We won't delve into that. But even if it's our own sister's or brother's toy, we've taken something from someone. At some point, we can go back and find out that we've done that. See, the world sees these things as right and wrong. But the problem with the world is that they do not see these things as sinful. They just see them as a, as a right or wrong thing. I remember when we lived in Russia. They're, they're under Soviet times during communism, when they tried to get rid of God, because you have to have atheism in order to have such a society. And, and so, basically, they got rid of the word sin. So when Christians were coming back into, and people were becoming Christians after communism fell, they had to define what sin was. But the word they used was, it was a mistake. So they actually translate the word sin in the Bible as mistake. I made a mistake. Well, it's, that's what the world thinks about good and bad things. But the problem with the world is they do not see these things they do as sinful against Almighty God, against His standard. Now, yes, the world does good works, great works. But then they also do bad works. But they are mixed together. And then the same with us. But from the core, from our nature as mankind, we are sinners. This means that God cannot just overlook our, our works. He sees us as we are. We are holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, sinners. All of us. This is why even our good works are not acceptable. Because God does not separate those things that that, that we do good with if if we are sinners, if the world is concerned. He doesn't just look at their good works and say, okay, I'm going to accept you. And that's the way the world thinks. But we are all sinners. And that's why as Christians, we preach this. We understand this. This is what the Bible teaches over and over and over again. This is our world view. Even Israel, in Paul's day, They did not see their sin as being as bad as the Gentiles. Okay, so they separated themselves out and thought, well, you know, look at our works, keeping the law like crazy all the time, doing what's right. Look at those Gentiles, those dogs out there. We are much better than them. But then what happens? If you turn with me to the book of Romans, just keep your hand there because we're going to look there at the end. But in chapters 1 to 3, Paul speaks about the justice of God, which is why what we're talking about this morning, justice of God and works. He speaks about the justice of God, the righteousness of God. And look at chapter 1, verse 18. He says, and we read, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress The truth. And then he goes on and he declares that both Jew and Gentile alike are all sinners and fall short of God's glory. Chapter 3, Romans, verse 23. Many of us have memorized that. For all have sinned and what? Fall short. For all, not just the Jews, not just the Gentiles, all fall short of of the glory of God this is why back to our truth as sinners our works are unacceptable to God very clearly look back or look over at Romans 3 verse 10 none is righteous no not one no one understands no one seeks for God all have turned aside Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not not even one. Now, it's not that Paul is saying here that the world does all bad works. Because there are a lot of good works the world does. The problem with the good works of the world is what? They flow from what? A heart of sin. Very clearly. This is why Isaiah can say, All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are what? The ESV says, a polluted garment. What's the King James say? Filthy rags, polluted garment. This is why our own good works will never outweigh our bad works, because we're still, in God's sight, falling short of His glory. Our sin is so great against the glory of God that if we could heap up mounds upon mounds, if you got scales, you heap them up on one side. Heap them up, all your good works. Well, let's just imagine, and let's think that we could put the earth on top of, of the scale, and all that be good works. How would it, in our mind, we're thinking, wow, that's really downweighing this other side. Well, let's put the, how many planets we got in our solar system? Nine, maybe eight, I don't know. Put them all there on top of the scale. Put them all, okay, all those are good works. What if you take all the stars of the universe and everything that's ever out there that we don't know about and put them all on one side of the scale? Who's going to win? Well, that's not the way to look at it. We could put everything on the scale, but yet the glory of God is still Greater than all of those sins, and we could never, by even of our good works, because we are sinners, if we were to place all of our good works there, they would still not outweigh the glory of God. And this is very, very important. This is what the Bible teaches. This is why we cannot teach that God would ever save anyone by his works, because God's justice requires that he punish and he do what is right. The day you eat of it, you will surely die. But at the same time, now come back to our text. We've needed all that, I think, this morning. Come back to our text. How can we say, or how can the author say, verse 10 again, God is not unjust, so it's overlook your work. Well, the answer is found in the gospel of Christ, which is truth number three. In Christ, here's third third truth, last one this morning. In Christ, our good works are acceptable. That is good news, that our works are acceptable to God. Well, the justice of God finds its satisfaction in the per- person and work of Jesus Christ. God's righteousness is seen there. God is just there. And so God sees our works, and yes, He doesn't overlook them. And then he approves of them. So to see the shift now for the Christian, God approves our works. Well, my question is why? Why does God approve our works? Well, I'm going to say this a few ways this morning. But first of all, because they are grounded in Christ. And in our, in, our, in our passage, God does see their work. And he sees our works. And he does not overlook how, in the, in the text there, look there with me at verse 10. God is not unjust so as so to overlook your work and the love you've shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. And these works are acceptable to God. Why? Here's the answer. It is because they are, to put it one way, they are works of Faith. I told you we'd come back to faith. They're works of faith. and this faith is a faith that trusts the promise of God to save. It comes from two weeks ago. And what is God's promise? To save? It is Christ. We must see that all of God's promises in the Old Testament, all of them, we read the Old Testament, All of his promises to save, find their fulfillment in the gospel of Christ. This is the author's truth. I believe if you wanted to narrow Hebrews down to one truth, here it is. Christ is the fulfillment of all the promises in the Old Testament for God to save you. Now you you find your salvation in Christ. In this book... Book of Hebrews, the author gives numerous examples of the works of Old Testament believers. And he shows the reason that they are accepted to God is because of their faith. And again, let me ask, what kind of faith is it? It's faith that looks forward to the fulfillment of God's promise to save. So in order to show this for a few minutes this morning, look over at Hebrews chapter 11 with me. And yes, we'll come back to Romans at the end. But look over at Hebrews 11. And the reason we're turning to Hebrews 11 is because I want to show, and the, as the author does, that these folks had great works. But they're works that flow from faith. Faith. So right from the beginning, we see the definition of faith. Hebrews 11, verse 1. Now, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. So they're hoping for something in the Old Testament. Hoping for something. Hoping to be saved. The conviction of things not seen. And then verse 2. For by it the people of old received their commendation. In other words, they, the Old Testament saints, they trusted God's promise to save them. By faith, they look forward to God's promise. And so let me ask this question. How do we know they had faith? How do we know? What's the topic today? Works and assurance. How do we know their faith? That's why I stopped this morning, Greg, because we were talking about obedience, those who come to Him. And so we know, Jesus says, they, know, they will know a tree by its fruits. They know your faith by your, by your works. That's how we we know this. And so, look with me at verse 4. Here's the examples. Verse 4, chapter 11, verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. Do you see his work, offering up, being obedient to offer up the right sacrifice? Cain did not. So here we see God accepts His works as righteous. Why? Did He accept the works based on their own? No. He accepts their work, His works because of faith. Again, what kind of faith? Well, Abel was looking forward to God saving him one day. There's faith looking forward in the promise of God. Look at verse 7. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events yet unseen. So God's telling Noah, something's going to happen. Trust me. In reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. And then notice what he says next. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness that comes by what? Faith. Verse (laughs) 8. Well, before that, Noah built the biggest boat ever. Go figure. Everybody was coming against him. But why did he do it? Because he trusted in God's promise to save him and his family. Look at verse 8. By faith, Abraham. And by the way, in Hebrews, that's our big example in in 13 to 19 of chapter 6. But, but verse 8, by faith, Abraham obeyed. When he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And when he went out, not knowing where he was going. So God told him, go to this place, I'm going to give you. There you go, there's God's command. God says, trust me, take you to that place. And verse 9, by faith, he went to live in the land of promise. God promised the land. Then verse 10. And this even goes further down the track. Looking forward. Verse 10. For he, Abraham, was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Verse 11. Look at Sarah. Old woman. (laughs) Could not have children. And God came and gave her a promise. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Wow. So do you see her works? Faith. She did her works because of faith. Verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, And when he had received the promises, was in the act of offering up his only son. Wow. By faith, he trusted God. That's why he offered up Isaac, his son. Verse 23. By faith who? Moses. Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents. Because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Verse 24, by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Verse 26, notice this one particularly. (laughs) He considered who or what? Verse 26, the reproach of who? Now, so here's the author of Hebrews in the New Testament going all the way back to Moses and saying, Moses considered the reproach of Christ. In other words, considered that if he made this decision that everybody would in in Egypt, in the world, they would want to kill him. They would want to send him away. They would hate him. So he says he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. So you see, the faith of Moses' faith, precious treasure, promise of God. For what? He was looking to what? To the reward, as we do. So here, in all of these things, the author is showing that Moses trusted God's promise as he looked forward to Christ. And let's continue, though. These words in verse verse 32 and following. Listen to these examples. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to talk of Gideon, of Barak, of Samson, of Jephthah, of David, of Samuel, and all of the prophets. And notice what happens to all of these folks in the Old Testament. Who through faith, they conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword. They were made strong in their weakness. They became mighty in war, and they put... Foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead from the resurrection. Those are all these things of faith that they did through faith. As they look forward to what? Promise of God to save. But then there are these other things. Others, others who have the same faith, suffered mocking and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats. They were destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world is not and was not worthy of them. They were wandering about in deserts and in mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth. Just a quick application there. Sometimes we will receive, receive great blessings and we'll be part of that first group. But oftentimes we'll be part of that second group. We just don't know faith works in either case. Whatever we are going through, whether it is sickness or death of loved ones, or whether it is emotional stress, you name it. Whatever is going on in our lives, good or bad. And and as and we know as as Christians going through this life, isn't it up and down? Oftentimes we just think we can get over that next hill. Yeah, we're going get to the next hill. And then we go, oh my, there's the next horizon of the next bit of mountains. And we go, oh. And then we're like, oh, we're almost to that next bit. And then you get to that next horizon and what do you go? Oh my, there's the next horizon. It just seems to keep going. So we do. We go up and down. And we are, but it is our faith and the promise of God, looking back to two weeks ago, to save a people from before the foundations of the world and sending His Son. And then giving us the Holy Spirit. Now, that's just a quick application, but back to what, what our truth is for number three. Do you see all of their works from, from Hebrews 11? Again, let me ask you a question What kind of works are they? Hope you're starting to see a difference between the works of the world and the works of the Christian. What kind of works? They're works of what? Faith. So let me ask you this. Does God approve their faith? Or does God approve their works? Yes. Yes, in both cases. He does approve their works. But only why? Because they are works. They're grounded in faith. Faith looks to God to save. To save. And in their day... They were looking forward. Forward to what? Look at verses 39 to 40 of Hebrews 11. And all these, though commended through their faith, they did not receive what was promised. (laughs) Since God has provided something better for us, that apart from us, They should not be made perfect. In other words, it's for all of the believers for all time. In the Old Testament and the New Testament, together. They, in their time, look forward to the the better. Go back to Hebrews again. The whole chapter is about Christ being the best, the better, always. He is the fulfillment of God's promise. Look with me now. There at chapter 12 of Hebrews, verses 1 and 2. Here's here's what we see. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we are surrounded by so so great a cloud of witnesses. Who are the witnesses? I believe the witnesses are those I just shared. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run the race with endurance that is set before us, And what does it say there? Looking to who? Jesus. So who are they looking forward to? Jesus. (laughs) Who are we looking back upon at the cross, the resurrection, the ascension? And we look forward to ultimate one day when faith will be what? Sight. But we are saved now. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross despising the shame, and now where is he seated? The right hand of God. So at the end of the day, I believe this text that we are in here, in Hebrews 6, I believe this text teaches that God will not forsake, God will not overlook what He Himself has given. Think about it for a minute. Faith. Who gives it? I mean, God created us. We have to start there, but who gives faith? Faith is a gift. And then what happens when we have this kind of gift? Works come. They follow faith. I think of Ephesians 2, 8-10. Common verses, I read them often. But by grace, you've been saved through what? Faith. And this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God not a result of not a result of works it's the other way around so that no one may boast and then verse 10 for we are his workmanship created in who in Christ Jesus for what good works which God goes back to two weeks ago but God prepared beforehand that we should walk in these good works. These ver- verses, Ephesians 2, 8-10, encompass the great work of God in fulfilling His promise to His people. We are saved by faith. Faith is a gift. And our good works stem from this faith, which is a gift. This text teaches exactly what we saw two weeks ago on assurance. We're chosen, Before the foundations of the world, Father gives a people to the Son, and then He sends His Son to do His work on the cross, His resurrection, and then He gives the Holy Spirit to live in our lives. This means that even our works, if we think about it like this, even our works are given by God, are they not? By the grace of God in Christ, how could He not accept our works. Now, look over at Romans 3. As I try to bring this to a close here in just a few minutes. So my question is, how can God not accept your works? Or, to put it positively, why does God accept your works? Apostle Paul says in Romans 3, look at verse 21. But now... Now this is after the cross, the resurrection, the ascension of Christ. So Paul's writing after this, he says, but now. Today, today is the day of salvation. Now the, the what of God has been manifested. The righteousness, the same word in the Hebrew here. In Hebrews, same root. The righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. So apart from works. The righteousness of God... Through what? Through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there's no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And then in verse 25. Whom God, speaking of Christ, put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. Here we see how God can accept our works. He accepts them. Why? So you should be able to answer this question if you've hopefully listened and understood today. How can God accept your works? Because of the cross of Christ. This is the sacrifice of Christ that he speaks of here in chapter chapter 3, verse 25. Where we see, and I say it all the time, the great exchange... What does, what does Christ do when He comes and He dies on the cross for us? What does He give us? His righteousness. I hope you're starting to see too the world doesn't have that righteousness. That's the reason God looks at their works and He does not accept them. But for the Christian who trusts in Christ, if you believe in Christ, what has He given us? His righteousness. And it, the, the, the way it's I believe, taught in the Bible is that he it's not our own because what are we? Who are we in and of ourselves? We're sinners. So Christ puts His righteousness into our bank account and there it is. Imagine opening up a bank account and it's never going to go dry and it's just going to be righteousness coming, righteousness coming, righteousness, and it never ever goes. That's what we get as Christians. And what do we give Christ? What do we put in His bank account? all of our sin, all of our unrighteousness, we give that all to Him. That is the great exchange of the gospel. In our place, in our place, He died. This is the great exchange. He takes our sins, we take His righteousness, and now, how does God view us and our works? We're no longer, as Isaiah says, our works are no longer As filthy rags our works are acceptable to God they are righteous because in in Christ we are righteous all of us he doesn't list he doesn't just leave you think well oh I've been really bad this week I've sinned against my husband or I've sinned against my wife or against my kids or against my brother or my sister whatever your sins are and you think oh you know what he'll take 90% of them no if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, then all of your sins are given to Him, and all of His righteousness is given to you. That's why He can say, if you come to me, going back to Matthew 11, if you come to me, I will in no way ever cast you out. I'll be your friend, I'll be your advocate, I'll be all of these things. Christ is the friend of sinners. And so now, in Christ, our works are righteous. God accepts them, And we are united to him. How? How are we united to him? It's a little test from the rest of the sermon. By what? Faith. Faith says right now, I trust in Christ. My sins are forgiven. I'm going to heaven. That's what we say. So when we think about the world, when we think about non-Christians, they can have the best of works. In fact, They can have better works than us, as far as the world is concerned. And when we look at them, they can help the poor. The world can feed the hungry. The world can heal the sick. The world can visit those who are in prison. The world can be a really good neighbor in many ways. They can build hospitals and schools in the poorest places on earth. So many things the world does and can do. That's why we often talk about in this culture, the good old boy. Yeah, they're they're good, the good old neighbor. We like to say that. What we mean is, they they do good works. I I like them, I can trust them. They're really good, and we like to say that. And in many ways, the efforts of the world, at least on the surface, can look better than the works of Christians. But, who are they? They're not believing by faith, on the Lord Jesus Christ. They are sinners who have fallen where? Just a little bit? They've fallen short of, of what? Remember the scales? They've fallen short of that glory of God that is required. But, <laughs> and, and I, I think that, that we can say as well that their works are filthy rags. Such were some of us. Such were all of us. But if you are in Christ, if you have believed on Him, this is faith. God does not see one ounce of your sins. He sees the righteousness of His Son. And this is the fulfillment. Go back to Hebrews, and I'm finishing now. This is the fulfillment of all of His promises to Adam, to Noah, to Abraham, to Moses, to David, to all the prophets, to all the saints of the Old Testament. This is His promise, that in they look forward to His promise. All those things He was given in the Old Testament were just pictures of the real thing, and that is Christ, and that is the sending of the Son. So let's end with verse 18. Go back to chapter 6 of Hebrews, verse 18. And I know we didn't exegete these verses here with Abraham yet. I'm still deciding what to do. But I think with two sermons, we've got the main point. But look at verse 18. Excuse me, let's move to, I, I've, I've got it wrong there. Look at verse, well, look at the second half of verse 18. We who have fled for refuge might have a strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set, for, set before us. That's the assurance of what we've got in this life. Why? Verse 19. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So today, in summary and in conclusion, God will always do what is right. That principle still stands. Two, as sinners, our works are unacceptable. Three, but in Christ, all of our good works are acceptable. And this... And we'll keep on this next time. This is why we have assurance. And so next time we will be very practical as we look at how we love one another in the body of Christ. Um, Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank You for this time this morning. Thank You for these words. Thank You for these principles. Father, we are overwhelmed by Your great promise to save. And I pray that if someone is not a Christian, or who is just struggling with their faith and thinking, God, how can you forgive me out of all the things that I've done? Father, I pray that you would give faith today, that they would look unto Christ and just be assured that Christ is their Savior. Help us greatly this day and this week, and if you allow us to come back next week. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening to the Grace Baptist Church podcast. You can listen to past sermons at podbean.com. Search Grace Baptist Church, China Grove to find us. You can also find us on Apple podcast. Search Grace Baptist Church, China Grove. You can also join us at the South Rowan YMCA, 950 Kimball Road, China Grove, North Carolina. We meet on Sunday mornings at 930 for fellowship and service starts at 10. Thank you for listening and remember to be intentional in making disciples this week.